Let's Talk Native is produced at the Eltian Studios on the Cataraugus territory of the Seneca Nation. We break all the rules for native media by peeling back the layers of assimilation and indoctrination. We may step on a few toes through our examination of culture, art, politics, history, and identity. But the real goal here is to bring our people together by breaking down what separates us. So, welcome to Let's Talk Native with John Kane. Sigo, and welcome to Let's Talk Native. I'm John Kane. I'm your host. Um, you know, we've talked a lot on previous shows about you know identity and and you know the struggles that exist uh, for for native people on native territories. You know, I've talked about the fact that much of the poverty that exists on native territories is policy driven. It's intentional. It's not, it's not a mistake. It isn't just because our people have, have lost a, some sort of will to, to, to thrive in life by removal and, and policies related both at the state level and the federal level that have essentially stifled economic development. And, and of course, just the, the sheer remoteness of native territories that may not seem like as big an issue today because of e-commerce and that kind of stuff, but by losing generations of, uh, of potential economic development, it's, it's a big hurdle to overcome. But what I want to talk about t today is, is related to that because, you know, as I've talked about missing and murdered indigenous women and substance abuse and uh, um, suicide, as, as I've talked about all of the, the things that you know that ail our communities, all of the uh, the problems that uh, that we have in our territories, most of them, if not, no, I'll take it back. Almost all of them <laughs> are directly related to poverty, and and a poverty, as I said, that's intentional. Now, not all of our territories have the same level of poverty as others, which is some of the, one of the things I want to talk about. Um, but if we don't address the hopelessness that exists on many native territories, even the ones that, that perhaps are not as impoverished, if we don't address the hopelessness that exists on, on many of our territories, we will never be able to tackle, you know, the, the depression issues, the substance abuse issues, the, you know, um, the, the, the flight, the flight from our territories. I mean, we, uh, we lose we lose probably among the more ambitious people on our territory. We lose them because they don't see opportunities on our territories. So they go out and they, and they seek um, opportunities elsewhere. And of course, even if you're, if you're seeking things like education, if you're pursuing your, you know, um, a college degree or, or some other skill set, the, the chance of you bringing that back to our territories to create opportunity there, or, or to realize the opportunity that you've, now been educated for um, on our territories is is slim, and because that's the, the circumstance, we never build more opportunities. So, what I want to talk is that you know talk about is that fact that we must, and and when I say we, I don't mean governments, I don't mean the state, I don't mean the feds, I don't mean native governments. I mean we as people on our territories and our and the allies that we have and our people who don't live necessarily on territory, we've got to create hope. 
We've got to give our people hope on our, on territories. And and look, I know that sounds all you know, um, I don't know. It, it almost sounds new agey, I guess. But when I when I talk when I what I mean by that we must give hope, we must create opportunities. Now, again, as as I said early on, the biggest problem is is poverty. And, and one of the solutions to poverty is obviously money. <laughs> so the idea that if our people had more resources, if, if, if our people were, you know, and, and we're going to see, you know, we see this with this, some of the stimulus money and that kind of stuff. And there, you know, look, one of the, the guys who ran for, um, uh, ran for president, what was the guy's name who was advocating a, um, a minimum or a, um, um, yeah, Yang, right. He, you know, he, he was, he was, Andrew Yang was suggesting that there should be, um, payments given to, to families. So there was a minimum income that we had, regardless of, of what other other circumstances are. And look, there's something to be said for that. Now, where do you come up with the resources to to make sure that everybody has sufficient funding for you know their basic needs? If you're a territory that's impoverished, that gets complicated. But here's what I'll say. We know as native people, as distinct as we might be from each other, and you know, I know everybody throws out numbers of federally recognized tribes and that kind of stuff. Regardless of how, what the numbers are, we know there are some territories that are more affluent than others, and we have organizations like NCAI. You know, um, there are AIM chapters. There's uh, there are other native organizations like USET. All of these organizations that are supposed to serve a larger group of native people. If we aren't working either with these organizations or, or through, through the creation of new organizations to pool some resources to address the poverty on native territories. And, and when I say address the poverty, yes, I'm talking about providing financial resources to those most in need, but also to create opportunities on the territories. Now, look, I know this is just talk, so it's, it's easy to rattle the stuff off. But we do live in a world now that the remoteness of a territory doesn't necessarily necessarily preclude it from being able to have economic development. We, you know, the, you know, the proverbial, the world's become a smaller place because of the internet. That, that's true. But we have a lot to overcome. And one of the things that we haven't done adequately, and even in places that, you know, where, where I've seen progress in terms of um, establishing and asserting our regulatory advantages over, you know, over off territory, we haven't done a good job pooling those, um, that, that information and uh, and those and the resources associated with that look i know there's been studies um you know joseph cult with the you know uh the kennedy school of government out of harvard i mean they they've done you know he did his whole piece on what tribes could do and what he talked about was utilizing sovereignty as an asset and and, and that's really what i'm talking about here when i when i talk about this notion of um asserting and then marketing what our regulatory advantages could be on our territories. This isn't about leveling the playing field. This is about trying to give ourselves a competitive advantage. And look, that's the reason we have tobacco sales and fuel sales and even gaming on our territories is because we pushed before, you know, the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act, or, or, or and certainly there's nothing that's come from the federal government or the or the state government that's supported or encouraged our exploitation of of our tax advantage. But we need to do that, and we need to we need to 
be uh, to fight for those things definitively enough so that we can market that. And and I don't mean just market our you know sell ourselves out you know to to you know to, to some higher bidder out there. But I'm saying that we need to create the opportunities on our territories based on the fact that all, some of these things can only happen on our territories. I mean, I, you know, one of the things that, that I've that I even suggested here on uh, in Seneca territory, and I'm not Seneca, so I, I won't be the one to ever do this. But you know, one of the one of the uh, businesses that has has thrived over the years has been self storage, and yet there are no self storage units on Seneca territory. And I'm thinking, if if a, if a Seneca wanted to do something on their lands that would be more profitable on territory than off territory because of property tax because of you know you know uh, all of the income tax you know state income tax, all that stuff look a senate could actually could actually build these uh these self-storage units and that income would be t- completely untaxable because it, it, it's income generated from the land and, and and that's not just a farm income that's you know things like lease so i mean there would be a clear example of of a business model that is not tobacco, it's not fuel, and it's not, uh, and it's not gaming that would show a distinct advantage for that kind of development on territory. And look, it's not a big job creator, but you know, it, it could be some, it could stimulate some, uh, you know, some work. Now the customers and the clientele might be off territory. And I, and I think, you know, when, when we have native territories that are close to urban environments, it's easier to look at that kind of stuff. When you're talking about remote territories, when you talk about places like Pine Ridge or, you know, or any of these, these places that are, are very, very remote and very, very impoverished, that may seem more difficult. But there are other services. There are other products. So there, there are things that we could do that, that do take advantage of the fact that um, the Internet has made other businesses possible. And look, I'm, I'm not suggesting a specific answer here. I'm mostly putting out the call for what we need. And what we do need is uh, we do need economic development in our territories. We need we, we need to both have the money to spend and the place to spend it. So if I look at, uh, again, going back to this, uh, to the relationships that could exist from territory to territory, then I start to ask the question, why isn't there a bigger effort to you know, to, to call upon not the states and the federal government, but other native territories that that have more affluence, and there are. Look, and, and we've we've heard all the stories of some of the some of the the, the quote unquote gaming tribes that you know that are uh, where, where each individual within their their nation is you know have essentially been turned into millionaires, and and whether and and that's not a um, an overarching um experience that exists in most native territories most native gaming is not that lucrative i mean it it does become the the means of public finance for for many native territories but there look we we've we told the story of the osage and how affluent they lived in the at the turn of the 20th century because of oil revenue there are many different ways that native territories that have had more affluence have developed that affluence the question is, how can we pool some of those resources to help those that are, that are most in need? And by doing that, we not only help those that are most in need, but we developed a tighter network amongst ourselves. Because, you know, when we talk about unity, and that's, that sounds great. I mean, it, it does. But the reality is we do all have different 
um, we're distinct. We all have different parts of our culture and we all have, you know, different goals and aspirations. But there are certain things that we do have in common. And, and I think we need to find, and I've talked about this before, find that common ground. So when, when we do that, we may find um, solutions to some of the common problems that exist. And, and maybe not every territory has the same level of, uh, of poverty, for instance, or joblessness, or, um, and, and of course, the ills that come with that, you know, the, the suicides, the, the, the exodus of, of our population, and, you know, the substance abuse issues. But if, if we don't create, first, the opportunity for people to, to basically live, look, I don't, I don't understand how you can have a territory that has an extractive industry, especially related to things like fuel, and yet you still have people freezing to death because, you know, because there's, there's no, there's not a program to make sure that they, that their electricity stays on or that their, you know, their propane or their, or their heating oil stays on or stays, stays full. There, you know, when, when I talk about putting money in the hands of people, I mean, the, the first thing is to make sure that the, the basic necessities are met, you know, heat in the wintertime, food. We don't have large food banks on our territories. We don't have many of the things that, that people can associate with, with populations like urban populations. So, and why not? We, we certainly could and we, and we should. And I think there, are, there, there is help out there. And I'm not suggesting that we, we can't tap into state or federal funds, but I'm saying we need to be the solution. Even if we're, if, if, if we're you know, calling on or forcing the state and, fed, uh, state and feds to, to fund some of it. But, you know, here, one, of, one of the problems that exists here is that there's, there ends up being some animosity that is held by the outside if they feel like Native people are getting something that, they don't, that we don't deserve. Well, first off, let me, let me back way up and, and address how it is that we got to where we're at. And, you know, and, and this is, you know, I bring this conversation up into everything and whether I'm talking about the mascot issue or whether, you know, I'm, I'm talking about any of the, the ills that we're faced with. We have, we've experienced generation after generation after generation of taking from our people, taking of our lands, taking of our lives, taking of our, of our, you know, of our, of our culture. We, we've had, we, this is what we've experienced. And the so-called trust responsibility that the United States, you know, claims that they were going to going to provide for Native people, and and part of that deal, the reason the United States is, you know, views this as a trust is because of the land sessions that took place. Native people never got paid just outright for uh, for our lands. Many, much, many of those, much of that land w was lost through fraud and deception, but there was always a promise. There was always a promise that our people would, would have their needs fulfilled. I mean, because look, the United States knew that our livelihoods, our, you know, you know, our success in life was tied to our lands. And, and, and the whole idea of, of changing our lifestyle so we were not dependent on large swaths of land for, for game or for, you know, for, for gathering or, or whatever else. The whole idea was to, to limit how much land we had by, and, and encourage us to live like white people. Assimilation wasn't a choice. 
It was a it was an imposed look. Many people come to to the United States, you know, come to our lands. They come with this with these this this hope of of the American dream that yes, they're going to come and they're going to become Americans. You know, so whether it's from you know Asian you know populations or European populations or or African populations, whatever. Many come with this idea that that, that there's this American dream and that they can they can become a part of the American system and they, and they will become Americans. That wasn't the choice that was given, you know, that, that I don't, I don't want to take it back. Not given. That wasn't a choice that we had. Assimilation was, was forced upon us, you know, through residential schools, you know, through, um, you know, obviously when you think about the, the, the massacres and, and, the, and the murders and, and all the things that, that our people experience, you know, part of the reason we're, our people enlisted in the armed forces in the numbers they did. But that was part of this idea of trying to endear ourselves to the to the oppressive nature of the United States. So assimilation wasn't just something that was wasn't just imposed upon us. It seemed for many Native people as the only recourse and the only way that we that we could see what other people had done in terms of fighting for this American dream thing. So, but, but, but it is an, it's, it's an imposed policy, you know, uh, by, by many regards, the whole idea of the, of the reservation system, it was developed first to, to push us out of, out of the mainstream population to isolate us. And in that isolation and in that desolation and in that despair associated with poverty that we essentially would cease to exist. There was, uh, there were actually programs that were were designed and look we we know of the of the five policies you know extermination and uh, assimilation uh, termination um, uh, you know all, you know all of the removal uh, and and of course what they call now self determination but in that in along with those lines of self determination was a, a bigger emphasis on assimilation but as much as there was this policy of removing us from the areas that white people wanted. <laughs> there was also another policy that developed during the Nixon administration, which was called a relocation po policy. This wasn't removal in the same sense. This was the idea of getting our people off the reservation and into the cities. And, and the policy involved, you know, sometimes, you know, some level of employment and some level of housing in, in an urban environment. But, but the goal again was to cut the ties it was to cut our cultural ties to to both land and space and place, but also to family. So, even though it's not sold that way, the way you know the way it's pitched is that you know look, there's there's very little opportunities on native territories, so we're going to give you an opportunity off territories, which which fed this this idea of of population flight from our territories. But there's very little that that went back to bolstering. Part of the reason that that AIM had a success was because it identified the, the the urban populations and did as much as they could as an organization to ensure some of the you know some cultural support and support that would connect people back to the, to the territories that they came from. But see, we we live now where there's not a whole lot um, that that connects us native people to native people, native people to native territories. And 
powwows used to do some of that. And and I'm not I I'll admit I'm not a big huge fan of of powwows, but one of the things that I acknowledge that it did is it it brought our people together. So look, there's there is nothing wrong with native people wanting their uh, their children to marry and build families with native people. I, and, and and you know I know we can get into into a whole another conversation about um, about preferences, so to speak. And that's not the same thing as ra- racism, but you know, but we we've never we've never really had a problem if if a native person from one native territory, you know, if our sons or daughters connect up with a native person from another native territory, even though policies sometimes are problematic in terms of, you know, and tribal enrollment and, and even blood quantum can sometimes, you know, come into in, into the into the conversation. But we understood the value in 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 maintaining uh, a uh, that relationship, and 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 although some families may have frowned when when our par- when our, when our, our sons and daughters married um, out of the native culture, we looked at even if it was a different native culture that it w- that it was there was a, a a real acceptance to that, but we don't have anything that encourages that. And, and in the absence of, of, of powwows, and, and now I think, you know, beyond powwows, the, the role of, of these large gatherings of activism are, are among, the o- among the only things that connect our people, you know, in, in, a, in a place that are from different, where you come from a different place and you go to a place and you connect with other Native people. Look, we have to have other reasons to get together than, than, than fighting a pipeline. By all means, let's get together and fight a pipeline. But we have to have other reasons to do that. Because you know one of the, one of the problems that exists is when we do find ourselves in the in the role of activism, many of us know that that we have to stay on on task and and focus and and as much as they they may turn into somewhat social gatherings, those things can also be exploitive. So I think we do need to have social gatherings, but we also have to have reasons for our cultures to um, to to come together. Not to not to homogenize them, but to come together. So if if trade and commerce is a part of that, then by all means. And look, to some extent, we've seen that with, uh, tobacco played a role in that. We, you know, we know that there's some territories that 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 played a role in, in developing uh, brands, and those brands cross, you know, go, you know, are sold almost exclusively on native territories. So we've allowed that industry to give us some of that, but we don't do enough. So I think we we have to look at what we can do on our territories. We need to uh, develop and and assert the regulatory advantages that we have in our territories, not because we want to exploit the environment or, um, you know, or, or do something um, uh, that, reg- that some of the, the state or federal regulations are supposed to protect. We're not trying to do away with, with, with protecting our lands. But there's no need for some of the oppressive nature. And certainly taxes is one of the, the things that I'm talking about specifically. There, there's no reason that we can't create better um, environments that are not just geared towards quote unquote tribal governments developing economically, but that any of us can develop economically. And, and, and we need to know that if we build something on our territory, that that we do have an advantage over off territory, not because it's going to necessarily, you know, allow us to get bank financing and that kind of stuff. But, but, but that's the other thing that I, that we need to talk about 
is how do we provide the resources to develop economically? Because we know we aren't going to qualify for bank loans, especially if we're exploiting a regulatory advantage that, that a bank may have a hard time you know, evaluating or legitimizing with, with financing. I mean, look, when we're fighting the state over taxes, it's a little hard to go to an, an agency that is, uh, you know, that the states have control over and say, oh, yeah, we're going to we're going to open up a, you know, a cigarette manufacturing facility, for instance. And, you know, then we, we still have this battle over, well, how much regulatory control will we still yield to the federal government, but we won't yield any of it to the state government. See, these things get complicated. But I think we should find out where the clear lines are and, and the things that we can do. And look, we understand that right now gaming is one of the big industries that, that, uh, that has impacted a lot of Native territories. Not all Native territories have gaming and not all Native territories can have gaming because of the remoteness and the, the, the lack of patronage that, that can come from, you know, from off territory. Because, look, our gaming is only successful when the patronage is predominantly non-native. That's the, what brings money into our territories. We just can't circulate money back and forth within our territories if we don't have money that's coming in as well. And, and so that's why the sale of tobacco and fuel and all that stuff works uh, on our territories. But we haven't expanded that enough. So these are the kinds of things that, that we need to um, uh, promote. And, and I say this, and I know this you know, turns into, into a, a trade and commerce conversation, but it still goes back to this idea that if we don't have something to offer our, 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 you know, our, our kids, our children, and in terms of prospects for the future, so whether it's a job opportunity or whether it's a career opportunity, and they're not necessarily the same thing, then what do we do to offer a child? What incentive is there for a child to pursue um, whatever type of education, whether it's you know standard you know high school and college education, or whether it's uh, you know developing a, a skill set that uh, that could be marketable. If we had something on our territories um, uh, that could support that, uh, look, we we know that our uh, that our people are talented when it comes to things like creativity, you know, music, the arts, you know, theater. We could do all that stuff, but we don't have a whole lot of film production on our own territories. Just another thing I'll throw out there. But these are the this is some of the conversation we need to have because if we don't offer something for our young people, then, then what can we, what incentive is there, is, is there for them to stay? And what incentive is there for them to improve themselves and to, and to develop a skill set or a talent? And if they don't do that, then what we've done is we've created another generation of people who are really just struggling to survive and, and struggling with their identity, struggling with their existence, and, and that's a recipe for all the things that, that, that plague our territories, the suicide, you know, substance abuse, depression, missing and murdered indigenous women, all of that stuff. And of course, if the only thing that we can tell our, our, our kids is that you need to leave the territory, then that's what they do. And, and it, unfortunately, it, it's the most ambitious ones that we're encouraging to leave. So what we're left with on our territory are, are not the, the builders. Are, they're not the creators. They're the, they are the ones who, who didn't have enough resources to even make that flight. So, I mean, 
I think it's really incumbent on us. If we're going to talk about activism, and, and I talk about that a lot on the show, if we're not going to be activists to, to provide hope for the next generation, for our own kids, if we're not prepared to, to, to build something, and, and I, I don't care where we've got to go. I mean, where we got to go for the resources, but we got to go. We have to both get the, the resources and the plan. And look, it's easy to point to, to some of the most impoverished territories that, uh, that really need this kind of help, but really every territory does because even the most affluent territories on, uh, you know, that, that we have, there's still poverty that exists there. I mean, I mean even, even, you know, the, the most affluent gaming territories, there are native people who are not enrolled that li that live on those territories enrolled in, in their income distribution. So, I mean, we, we have to do something that goes beyond and, and not to mention the fact that gaming is not recession proof and, and it may not be sustainable. So if we don't diversify, you know, what we're not only doing for public finance, but what we're doing to support our people and, and to, to support economic development in our territories, then we're in for a world of hurt. So I, I think it's really important that we, as the activist community, not tribal government, not state government, not federal government, but we as the activist community, we have to take a stronger stance on giving hope to the next generation. And if we don't do that, then we are failing our own children and we're failing our own grandchildren. And look, we can, we can try to heal the hurt that's caused by suicide and drugs and all that stuff. But if we don't go to the underlying problem, which is that lack of opportunity, that lack of a prospect for the future, we'll never be able to tackle these social ills. I'm John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. Yahweh.